And it is honoring to her to recognize that there's grief, to recognize that there's loss, to recognize that she can't do this journey on her own and to be there for her when she's making that decision. Adoption over abortion makes for a good bumper sticker, but how do we make it happen in the real world? Welcome to Dear Jane, I'm your host, Scott Baker. Today, we look at the role adoption plays in the pro-life movement and the challenges of integrating adoption in increasing ways across the U.S. Robin Chambers, who's the executive director of Advocacy for Children with Focus on the Family, and Dr. Brent Imler, who's the president of the Christian Adoptions Alliance, joins us to discuss that and more today on Dear Jane. Robin and Dr. Imler, thank you very much for joining us here on Dear Jane. Really do appreciate the time. Robin, let's start with you. How did you come to this specific niche in the pro-life movement? When we talk about adoptions and fostering, what makes you passionate about this? What makes me passionate about this is I had my own story of an unplanned pregnancy. I was 16 when I had my son. And um, because of the support of my then boyfriend, now husband of 43 years, um, and my parents, I um, was able to choose life and um, go on and do all the things that I wanted to do, all the things that the other side says you're not able to do if you're in that situation. Um, and then in the foster care side, I have kinship adoption of my two oldest grandkids kiddos. Um, they are now 21 and 20. So I guess you wouldn't really call it adoption anymore. Um, but we've had them, <clears throat> pardon me, we've had them in our home uh, since they were three and four. So we entered the foster care world in a way I never anticipated. Um, but goodness, wouldn't have it any other way. Those two, two young people are amazing, amazing young adults, and it's a blessing to be a part of their lives. Dr. Emler, what about you? Well, adoption's a big part of my life in a number of different ways. I was blessed to be adopted and placed into a Christian home. And so I grew up knowing Jesus and grew up like most adopted kids asking that question. I wonder what my birth mother was like. And I took action on that when I was 20 years old and met her and discovered the journey she went through to choose life and choose adoption for me. And that created my passion for adoption and that collective experience. And then it would um, only be elevated when my wife and I would discover infertility was a journey that we would navigate and grow our family through the blessings of adoption. So we have two uh, grown children now that are blessings through adoption. So one of the things I hope to tackle here today is to have a better understanding uh, of the intersection of, of adoption in the pro-life movement. I understand one of the big criticisms of, of those outside the pro-life movement is that we only care through the point of birth, right? Uh, once, the, once the birth happens, then we no longer care. Uh, and and I, I certainly want to address that. Uh, but, but we'll start with you, uh, Dr. Imler. Help me understand where that intersection happens. Uh, where, what, what is the role of adoption in the pro-life movement? Well, adoption is is certainly um, a part of the pro-life movement uh, because it represents, you know, God's design for bringing us into his family. Um, Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five tells us that God not only chose us, he adopted us. And so when we accept that gift from him of eternal life, we are adopted into his family. And so we've got that model. Uh, that model also is exhibited with Moses, who was adopted. Jesus himself was adopted by his earthly father. Um, and there's other examples of adoption in the Bible as well. When it comes to the pro-life movement, you know, adoption is 
it, it basically for me, it's that act of Christ. I mean, it's about the closest thing to the act of Christ here on earth, apart from literally running out in the street where you push your child out of the way. So you get hit by a car instead of, of them. It's a sacrificial it's a sacrificial um, gift when a birth mother decides to give her child a family, to give her child a hope, to give her child opportunities, a dream. It is, it's, it's out of love and it is, it, it's the, it's love, it's adoption, it's, it's the kingdom, it's the cause of life exemplified in that process. And so adoption is, in, in my mind, it is the sanctity of human life. Um, in, in full. So Robin, I will, I will confess, I'm really starting from a 101 level here. Okay. So, so, so keep that, in, keep that in mind as, as you talk to me here, cause I'm 101 level. So is this about really, is it about just presenting adoption as the alternative to abortion? Is, is that really what we're talking about? Or is it much more than that? It's so much more than that. Um, you know, I often tell my team education is empowerment. You know, that's a word that the other side loves to use. You know, abortion is healthcare. Abortion is empowering women. And I believe it's just opposite of that. And so the pregnancy centers and the pregnancy medical clinics that we work with, they are all about education that young woman on all of her choices. And adoption is certainly one of those. When you go to an abortion provider, you're given one option. When you go to a pregnancy medical center or a pregnancy resource center, they are going to talk about all of the options. Parenting, obviously. Ab abortion, they do have conversations about abortion and what happens physically to a woman, um, as well as psychologically to a woman, even spiritually to a woman. But they also talk about adoption and in a way that is very honoring to that birth mom because they believe she deserves all of the education that she needs around adoption. And they'll talk to her about, you know, what's an open adoption? What's a closed adoption? What's a semi-open adoption? And then they'll connect her with people who can walk that journey with her. And as Brad knows, there is still a grief that happens because it is a loss, even though it is the most sacrificial, brave decision that young woman could make. But we also recognize that there's the grieving that comes with that. So it is, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, we only care about the baby. No, we care about that mama, regardless of her decision. Um, and we care about her long term. And so um, talking to her about adoption in a way that makes her feel empowered to make that decision to give that child an opportunity that maybe she couldn't, but to give that child an opportunity to be in a family that she knows will care for that child long term. That is the greatest education we can give her. All right, I'm, I'm the skeptic and I'm listening right now and I'm thinking, okay, all you want to do is you want to make sure that the baby is safely delivered to the new family and then you're not going to pay attention anymore. Uh, you, you, okay. I, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Yes. You're pro-life. Yes. You do care about the baby and you want the babies to safely arrive in a new family. So that's all you care about. But you, you, you said right there, you care about the mama long-term. So talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, Brad and I have worked on, um, probably over the last several years is looking at um, what it takes to really holistically serve that young woman who's made that decision. And it is honoring to her to recognize that there's grief, to recognize that there's loss, to recognize that she can't do this journey on her own and to be there for her when she's making that decision. But in a way that is very practical to say, we understand that you're going to, you know, there's going to be tears. Um, I had a young birth mom who told me, she said, it was the most joyful and the most bittersweet day of my entire life. She said, I knew it was the right thing to do, but I also, there was this grief of, of handing that child over. And she said, but the agency that she worked with, she was given access, free access to a licensed clinician who could walk that grief journey with her for one full year 
And she said that that woman stayed with her every single week for one full year. And she said, I still connect with her and still check in with her and say, hey, are you okay? And she says, yes, I'm okay. The, you know, the birthday of that child comes around and the adoptive family sends her updates. And that is a way to continually impact her decision and say, this was the right thing. And let me tell you how sacrificial this was. We understand that. We acknowledge all of those feelings, but we also want her to know that that child is okay. That child is thriving. And that reaffirms that that decision was the best for that baby and for her. Dr. Emler, it sounds like we've gotten better through the years at understanding the process for the mother and the sacrifice and the emotional processing that it takes for her. Um, we have learned uh, quite a bit, uh, particularly in the past 10, 20 years, but there is still more to learn and discover. You know, my wife and I, when we adopted our two kids uh, about 20 years ago, we weren't the pioneers, but we were certainly part, uh, certainly part of the open adoption movement where that was not something that was regularly experienced, it now accounts for 75% of the adoptions. We've learned the value that an open adoption brings to the experience where that birth mom remains or the birth family remains connected, you know, having the opportunity to witness that child growing up in some form or fashion. For that child to have that connection to that life source uh, in that birth mother and in some cases birth fathers. And so we've learned a lot. And we see now where not only the pregnancy centers and the adoption uh, community, but others coming alongside and recognizing that sacrificial gift that she made, as Robin said, is I was just actually counseling a birth mother um, uh, this past week, and she talked about her tears and they were tears of pain and they were tears of joy. The pain, of course, was the loss, uh, you know, as I'm not holding that baby in my arms at this moment. But the tears of joy was recognizing the hope, the dreams, the opportunities and the family that that baby was in. And so it is. It's a bittersweet um, experience. And we're learning all the more the necessity for it to be an open adoption where those relationships can be connected. And ministry happens um, from birth mom to family, from family to birth mom. And of course, from both of them to the baby and the child as it grows. So I, I'm assuming, I mean, open, close, I think self-explanatory, but open is where everyone knows each other, the birth mom, the adoptive family, that sort of thing. And and are all the state laws, are those all the same? Or help me understand that a little bit better. Is it pretty much all universal across the country? And and, and, and what kind of control does the, the birth mom have over that? Help me understand that process. So uh, the laws do vary state to state, um, but in reference to the definition, closed means there's no identity. The adoptive family doesn't know who the birth mother is. The birth mother doesn't know who the adoptive family is. It's closed. There is no identity information of any kind of an open adoption is where everybody knows everybody. It is the, the birth mother knows the first names and last names, the maybe the address, the phone numbers of the adoptive family and vice versa, um, and often communication occurring between them. Everything else in between is semi-open. And so the semi-open is what really varies. Uh, sometimes that semi-open is communications through the agency back to the birth mom but there's still communication happening. And so what we know is that open adoption where there is that relationship, where there is that connection is where the best things happen from a health perspective. Brad, what is one thing that you would say would be so beneficial 
um, for that birth mama to know, you know, what is, what is some of the questions that she should ask as she's going through this journey and possibly making this decision? So the laws, great question, Robin. The laws do vary state to state. Um, and when it comes to the birth mother, sadly, there's no laws that actually protect her rights when it comes to that communication. An adoptive family can opt to not have an open relationship and and, and close the doors. And so one of the things that I would encourage um, birth mothers and adoptive families is to move beyond those fears. Because usually it's fear that from an adoptive family that that birth mother is going to intervene. You know, she's going to be nosy or she's going to try and take the baby back or something, some kind of fear. And that is not the case. That birth mother just wants to know that that baby's okay. And so one of the things that I like to encourage is for that building of trust. You know, when I'm talking to a birth mom is ask that family, how can I be the best birth mom for you? And asking that family, how can you be the best, you know, connection for that birth mom, support for that birth mom? Again, that mutual relationship and build that mutual trust. Because when, you know, I, when my wife and I adopted our son, we knew we wanted an open adoption, but we didn't know what that meant. You know, the only thing that was out in the world of education was kind of like, you know, the exchanging of pictures, you know, every six months send pictures and maybe a letter. And we thought we knew we wanted more. And when we met my son's birth mother um, for the first time, she was actually still carrying my son. She was pregnant. Uh, we went in for the weekend, just enough time to get to meet them and get out. And then when it came time to leave, um, my son's birth mother and her parents, my wife and I, we were all in the Walmart parking lot, hugging and crying, going, don't leave. We don't want to go. And we knew that we were adopting a family. And it's been a joy and a blessing. I mean, my birth mother. My son's birth mother, birth father, birth mother's parents, birth father parents have all been to our house and stayed with us. They're part of the family um, and it's beautiful. And so now that's fully open. I mean, it's hard to get much more open than that, but the boundaries are there. And that's what's important um, when a birth mother's included in the picture and birth father. Uh, when the birth parents are included in the picture, you want to have those boundaries in place so that the birth mom knows when it comes to parenting, when it comes to those decisions, that's that adoptive family. I mean, that's that's their responsibility and they're the ones that need to make those decisions. Um, but to love on that child, how, I mean, how can you have too much love? What a great story, Brad. Thank you for sharing that. I had not heard that before. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the actual decision to give the baby up for adoption, when the decision is made, how the decision is made, just want to get into that thought process. We'll do that when we come back here on Dear Jane. I'd like to tell you more about Choose Life Marketing. Choose Life Marketing is a full-service pro-life marketing agency with data-driven solutions for organizations of all sizes. They serve pregnancy centers, right-to-life organizations, adoption agencies, Christian-led businesses, and more with services ranging from Google paid search and websites to social media and consulting. With clients in all 50 United States, as well as Canada, Ireland, Taiwan, and Australia, Choose Life Marketing has provided services to over 600 clients and counting. They are pro-life marketing leaders with a heart for life. Experts in navigating the rapidly changing post-road climate, reach out to Choose Life Marketing by visiting ChooseLifeMarketing.com to get started on crafting your best marketing strategy. 
And we're back here on Dear Jane, visiting with Robin Chambers, the Executive Director of Advocacy for Children with Focus on the Family, and Dr. Brad Imler, President of Christian Adoptions Alliance. And both Robin and Brad have shared their personal adoption stories. And one of the things I want to talk about now, well, Robin, we'll start with you, is I want to get into the thought process of typically, and maybe there is no typically, when the decision is made during the course of the pregnancy on when to take the adoption path. When does that happen? Um, I don't think that there's any, I don't think there's a typical, to be honest with you. Um, I know in my case, you know, when I found out I was pregnant and started having, you know, the conversations, abortion never entered the conversation, but um, adoption did very early. Um, But I, I was pregnant back, as Brad was saying, you know, I was pregnant 40 years ago, 43 years ago. Um, there was no such thing as an open adoption or a semi-open. It was very closed. And so started having that conversation very early in the pregnancy and then really moved away from that because of the support that I had. So fast forwarding all these years and looking at what's currently happening happening at the pregnancy center um, level, you know, where those conversations are are happening in the client advocacy room. When you have, you know, someone talking to that young woman about all of her decisions, I don't believe the decision is made right there. One of the things that is so important when we're talking to a young woman in that situation is to get her to pause. You know, when you're in that situation and there's a panic and there's terror and there's this indecision of what do I do because, wow, my life's going to change. Um, she's not in an emotional state where she can make that decision. So I think the decision really is, it really is personal to her based on where she is in her decision-making abilities, based on the support that she has from, you know, maybe the father of the baby, um, her parents, um, friends, family, that type of thing. Um, it could go up to, you know, honestly, up to birth when she says, you know what, I can't do this. I, you know, I need help. I need whatever. And I think it is a continuum. I think she could make the decision very early on, but I also think she could make it halfway through. I think she could make it at the very end when she realizes, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't have the necessary support in place to be able to parent this child. Um, so I, I, but that's where the pregnancy center is so key and having those conversations, they are there with her every step of the way, answering her questions, connecting her to a, an adoption agency that is there for her and for the adoptive parents where there is this, um, commonality, you know, in that decision, but there is a caseworker for the birth mom. There's a caseworker for the adoptive parents and they are making the best decision possible. And it could be at any time during that journey of pregnancy. Um, so I, you know, the, the word typical, I don't think really applies right here. So Brad, you know, Robin just mentioned a lot of factors, obviously, a lot of things going through the mind of a young lady that, that is in the situation. I mean, again, there is no typical, but uh, what are, what do you find? What are some of the, the biggest factors that play into the decision? Is it uh, the financial support? I mean, what are some of the weightiest things on, on her mind as she considers this decision? In, in, your, in your experience, uh, what, are, what are some of those biggest factors? Well, as Robin said, there is no typical and she doesn't make that decision at one said given moment. It happens throughout the process. We know that when she comes into a pregnancy center or into a counseling moment, she's not deciding between those typical identified three options. She's deciding between caring to term or termination. And once she decides to carry to term, it's in that journey where she begins to wrestle with parenting or placing. 
Now, what leads to that decision to make a adoption plan? Uh, different factors, um, and you'll you'll find that with uh, discussions with the different moms. But some common things is what is her life like? What is she missing? Um, if she grew up in a single home and missing, be it a father or a mother you know, wanting that other piece for this baby, not having support from the birth father. I mean, that's a huge piece. If she doesn't feel like we're going to do this together as a team, I don't know that I can do it alone. And again, wanting, when she makes an adoption plan, it's because she wants the best for that baby. It's not, I'm giving my baby away. It's I'm giving my baby a dream. I'm giving my baby a family, a hope, a chance. And so she is looking for the missing pieces in general, the missing pieces in her life, be it a parent, be it relationships, be it financial support, what's missing. I want my baby to have more. Robin, I, I would be remiss if we, if we get out of here and we don't talk about fostering. And I do have a little bit more exposure and experiencing with that. I, I have enough experience to know it's hard. Man, is it hard. I've had some family members who have done it. Uh, my parents did it when I was younger to be such a special, special kind of angel here on earth to, to be a foster parent. You really do. Um, but I, you know, I've had some uh, of conversations lately to understand that you don't have to be a foster parent to be involved in fostering. There's lots and lots of other things you can do, but let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, what are we doing well in the pro-life community? What can we be doing better? How can we be helping in the world of fostering? Thank you so much. This is an area that that's the other hat that I wear, as Brad knows. I, I wear multiple. I oversee all of our foster care and adoption initiatives at Focus on the Family. And uh, one of the things we're doing well is really starting to bring awareness to the the huge need um, right now in the United States. There's more than 440,000 children in foster care. They're in out of home care um, at no fault of their own. And that's one of the things I think we've made a really huge stride in is really changing that vernacular around a foster kid. Brad knows me well, Brad knows I don't like labels. And so I think that's one of the things that we've done a great job at Focus and in the pro-life movement is really starting to change those labels because um, that's not that kid's identity. You know, that's a child in foster care. That's a, you know, it's a child that has been placed in out-of-home care because of an unsafe situation that that child had no control over. They're not bad kids. They're they're kiddos who come from a trauma background. And so really starting to change that, that messaging and that conversation, um, I think we've done tremendous amount of work in bringing that awareness to, um, especially the pro-life community, um, of what it means to, you know, for a child to be in out-of-home care. Our goal is to always reunify that child with their family. That's our goal for them to be an intact family um, with mom and dad and, you know, those children being safe and healthy. Um, but when that doesn't happen and those children become um, legal orphans in the United States, that's, you know, that's a terminology I don't care for. I don't like the word orphan. It has a negative connotation. But again, that's something that we're changing. You know, those children are available for adoption and desperately need forever homes. And so that's one of the things I think the pro-life community has done. Um, and I loved what you said, you don't have to just be a foster parent or just go into fostering from adoption. You know, I work with Dr. Sharon Ford, who has 36 years of experience in this world. And she, she always says, what's your yes? What's God calling you to say yes to? Maybe it is to become a foster parent or adopt from foster care. But if you're not being called to do one of those two things, you can support a family that is in that situation. And our churches are doing a phenomenal job. 
those are ways that are so easy, so easy to step into this foster care world and support a family that's going through that. And it's simple. It's bringing a meal once a week. It's taking those kiddos out to ice cream so mom and dad can have, you know, a few minutes of peace um, while they're going through that. It's financial. It's, you know, it's bringing groceries um, or you get that placement in the middle of the night and you call your Bible study group and say, I need bottles and diapers and a crib and a playpen. And that's the body of Christ coming together. That's one of the things I feel like we have made huge strides in, in the last 10 years that we've really been working in foster care, 11 years through focus. And it's just the body of Christ and other organizations coming together to say we can have an impact. And that really is putting our faith in action, you know, and doing those practical things. I know that seems very simple, but it really is stepping into the mess. Sometimes foster care is messy and stepping into that and being willing to be a part of that. And it could be as easy as praying for that family Every time you think of their names, every time you think of that child, you are taking them to the foot of the cross because we know that they come from really hard places and they desperately need healing. So I, you know, I can't say enough. I, I just feel like our churches, our pregnancy centers, all of these organizations that Focus has been working with, they've done a phenomenal job in really stepping in and really wanting to help those children that are in that situation. Um, we have a lot of clinicians that are coming to us and saying, hey, we want to be trauma informed so that when we're working with a family that has adopted a child from foster care or fostering that child, how do we impact that family so they know how to serve that child best? And so that awareness, I think, is one of it's a big win. It is a big win for the, the pro-life community. I do know enough and we don't have enough time to go into it here, but <laughs> I, I do know that some of the fostering laws and some of the systems in our country do need to be addressed and <laughs> need to be fixed. But we won't get into that here, but it will lead me into my last question. And I, I want to hear from both of you on this. As you look at adoption and and or fostering in the United States. And we'll start with, with you, Dr. Imler. What would you fix if you, or what would you like to see do better if you had a wish list or what are you praying for? Um, what's the next step? However you want to answer that question, um, what, what would you like to see done better in the world of adoption and or fostering? What would I like to see better? Let me make a list. <laughs> you know, the it's a biblical mandate you know, to care for widows and orphans. And, you know, what, um, as Robin said, you know, the word orphan often has a negative connotation. Um, but when we talk about that identified individual, um, whether it's uh, that baby in an unexpected pregnancy or the child that is, is placed in the foster system or um, an orphan globally, um, God's called us. He's called us as as the church to rise up and to meet the needs of, of those individuals. And so, um, as Robin said, you know, the pregnancy centers, the churches are doing a good job it, it collectively, but there's room for us to do more. So I would love just to see the body of Christ rising up to meet those needs. Um, I think there's a need for changing the cultural message. Um, too many people will look at me as an adopted child and say, oh, that's wonderful. You're adopted, you know, and look at me as an adoptive parent. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, you adopted uh, your children. Those same people will turn around in the same breath and say to the birth mom, how did you give your baby away? And so we have to change that. I mean, her, what she is doing is she's not giving her baby away. She is giving her baby opportunity. She's giving her baby a home. And I think we need to have that message broadcasted across this country um, and be adopted and recognize really the heroes 
the sacrificial heroes that birth moms are. And that, that, that's not for the adoptive family. That's for that baby um, because it's out of love. They do it out of love. I want to see adoption advanced from a biblical and Christian perspective. We see God's design eroding even within the Christian community because we get desensitized to Satan chipping away at God's design. And so I want to see adoption elevated from a biblical and Christian perspective. One of the things that's on my heart, though, is for that birth mom. There are programs, there are agencies caring for her, but I think we could do even better. That birth mom needs the community to rise up and to wrap around her with love, with support, with care, with education, and to value her and value what she did because it truly was a sacrificial step that she made. And so those are things that come to mind when I, when I look at how do we improve the world of adoptions? That's at the forefront of my mind. Robin, you get the last word. One of the things that I think I would change is kind of along what Brad was saying, just not living in that, that, that's kind of that space of fear. You know, one of the things we've done at Focus is we've hosted foster care and adoption um, events across the United States over the last 11 years. And we go into churches to really start recruiting families to become foster parents. Um, and I think that what I would change, um, I don't believe in cloning, but goodness, you know, there's two of us at Focus who are going out and talking about this. And so having more of a collaborative spirit with those who can talk about foster care um, and who can go into churches across the United States and talk about having a really robust um, foster care initiative. And that's not something that I'm asking a senior pastor to take on. I am very well aware of um, all of the pulls on that pastor and asking that pastor to do one more program or one more thing, but really calling the body of Christ, that big C church that I was talking about earlier, to, to really be able to have um, kind of a, a reach, as, as Brad said, across the United States, um, you know, talking about foster parents and what a need there is, there is a desperate um, gap between the number of children in foster care and the number of foster parents. Um, and so having a collaborative effort to talk about the need for more foster parents, I would um, I would champion that all day long, you know, and that's just the way to get the, the message out. And so that collaborative spirit is so necessary. Well, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I know there's much, much more to talk about when we talk about adoption and fostering. So we'll definitely have to have you back, but I do appreciate the time. Robin Chambers, Executive Director of Advocacy for Children with Focus on the Family, and Dr. Brad Imler, President of Christian Adoptions Alliance. Thanks for joining us here today on Dear Jane. I want to take a minute and tell you about Soul Global, Sanctity of Human Life Global. Soul Global is a nonprofit organization that believes every human person has value and deserves to be served with dignity from conception through the end of life. Soul Global equips people, churches, and communities with the tools they need to advance the sanctity of human life message around the world. One of the tools they have is Soul Care, which is a complimentary online platform for churches and nonprofits to have an initial voice for the cause of life. Churches and nonprofits can provide online counseling, life-affirming education, support, and referrals to resources in their community through the Soul Care tool. And it doesn't end there. To learn more about the many tools Soul Global offers, check out their website at Soul Global, that's S-O-H-L global.org. 
In today's edition of People You Should Know, we sit down with Allison Millette. Allison is the director of Women's New Life Clinics in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, Louisiana. In July of this year, their clinic in Baton Rouge was vandalized by pro-choice activists. It was Jane's Revenge messaging all over our property, the building, the concrete parking lot, all of our signage. Um, and there was also anti-police slurs uh, that were written all over the property as well. As a result, Allison says the clinics have stepped up security, which of course is an additional expense, but a necessary one. It's unfortunate, but it's required. It's necessary. Um, there are folks that are pledging to attempt to take us down. And um, persecution is not something that, um, you know, is a surprise to us. Christ promised us we would be persecuted. Allison says the reality is that security will likely be a concern for the long term. It probably will be, um, as long as folks are fueled with a lot of anger um, and not understanding who we are. Uh, we have always been in operation, regardless of the political uh, landscape, and certainly regardless of the legality of abortion, women need help. And if folks don't want to acknowledge that and recognize that and put that mother first, put that woman first and recognize that she is who we're helping, um, that our services are there for um, every woman, um, if, they're, if they're going to be fueled with anger and, and misunderstanding and misinformation, um, we've got to make sure that we're safe because our clients are our top priority and we want to make sure that uh, we can take care of her. Allison says the financial supporters of Women's New Life Centers have understood the need to help. Um, and we did reach out to our supporters. Um, they too, you know, they answered very beautifully and they too understand what we're up against. And so they uh, were very helpful and continue to be supportive. While these attacks are a result of the misinformation swirling around our country, they once again missed the mark. Um, we are in a, in a culture that wants to expose fake clinics. Uh, we are anything but. We operate under the license of a board-certified OBGYN. Uh, we have a clinical consultant. We employ licensed professionals in their fields. These are registered nurses who are trained to provide these medical services. These are licensed clinical or um, master's level social workers and professional counselors. Uh, these women are trained with degrees in their field to provide these services to women. And at all times, we make sure women know there is no agenda here. We are here for her. Um, so they didn't slow us down, you know, <laughs> maybe we had to take a step back just to make sure everybody was safe, but uh, we have not stopped and we have no intention of stopping. Hope you enjoyed our discussion on adoption today with Dr. Brad Imler and Robin Chambers. Of course, not all of us have been called to adopt or foster, but we do need to help those who have been called. That is especially true when it comes to helping the brave women and men who have decided to give their baby a chance and choose adoption. I liked what Dr. Emler said about choosing opportunity over abortion. It's giving the baby a chance at a life that they may not have had otherwise, and that takes tremendous courage and foresight. And for those who say the pro-life movement only cares about birth, feel free to put this podcast on repeat. Thanks for listening to Dear Jane. I'm your host, Scott Baker. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. You can learn more at ChooseLifeCoalition.com.